Hello, readers. Jacques Pepin is an iconic chef with 16 James Beard Awards, TV host, artist, and author of more than 30 cookbooks. His newest book showcases his paintings, culinary creations, and stories relating to his favorite animal, the chicken. And you can actually hear Jacques talk about it in person at the Texas Book Festival this Saturday, November 5th at 1 o'clock. It is a conversation and book signing at the Central Presbyterian Church on 200 East 8th Street in Austin. The book is called Art of the Chicken, a master chef's paintings, stories, and recipes of the humble bird. Jacques, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? Okay, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. I'm waiting to go see you on Thursday. That's right. right. The Texas Book Festival event is this Saturday at one o'clock central time. People can go to texasbookfestival.org to buy tickets, to find out more information. And you and I were uh, just discussing this a little bit before I hit record, but this is not your first time visiting our fair city. Well, no. I mean, in the 80s and all that, I was giving a lot of class in Dallas, Houston, Longview, Texas, Austin. Uh, and and more and uh, yeah, I went to your city there. One, the mayor was Mr. Cisnero, who made me a citizen of Austin. So I'm going back home. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a very unique book, considering that it combines your paintings with your stories, and then also your culinary creations, mostly your culinary creations. You include some uh, creations from your friends as well, all involving the chicken, though. What do you right. love about chickens, Jacques? Well, it's probably the most democratic food of all. You know, you find chicken in a truck stop and you find it in a cafeteria and you find it in the hospital if you go there and you find it in a three-star restaurant with truffle under the skin or, you know, with foie gras or whatever. So, yes, and I've had, I have had chicken or eggs for that matter, you know, whether it was in West Africa, in Russia, in China, in France, Italy, or America, or whatever. I don't think there is any place in the world who doesn't use chicken and even eggs more. So, uh, yes. And in addition to that, I was born in a town next to Lyon in France called Vaucamoise. And the breast chicken are considered the greatest chicken in France, which was always part of my tradition. The chicken is very symbolic in France. It's on the top of building, on the top of church. Uh, it represents uh, the emblem of uh, French courage and so forth, just like the American eagle here in the, during the Prussian War and all that. There is always during the resistance in France, uh, the cock, Gaulois, the Gallic cock, you know, was very always important as an emblem of French. You know. And another interesting aspect of this book, even though it is part cookbook, you don't go traditional with the recipes that you talk about. You're not listing ingredients and spelling out each individual step to make the uh, numerous dishes that you do describe. You actually do it in more of a narrative style. Why did you decide to do things this way? Exactly. Well, because at the beginning, I was not supposed to do a cookbook. Uh, I wanted to do a book of my panning of chicken, which started many years ago. And the publisher said, fine, great. But as soon as I send some of the pictures, they say, okay, can we have a recipe with that? I said, I don't want the recipe. I have 30 books of recipe. So uh, I have another book called The Apprentice that I did uh, a number of years ago, which was a cook memoir with story when I was a kid and so forth. So I, in the same way, I wrote story about eggs or chicken from Africa to France to America and so forth. 
And in, along the way, I gave some narrative recipe, as you say, and some of them uh, feasible. I say my mother used to do this, 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 and that, and it's fine. Some other not really feasible when I use uh, a pig's bladder and truffle and stuff in old, old recipes. So yeah, and there there is a, a feel that goes with becoming a really good cook, and you can follow recipes to the letter, and you can get to a certain uh, level. But uh, if you don't understand each individual ingredient and how those ingredients work together, and how all of that might work uh, over a fire, then uh, you uh, have a much lower ceiling than somebody who chooses to do it otherwise. Yeah, without any question. I mean, you know, other professional chef, you know, you train. You train with the practice and repeat and repeat and repeat until it's part of your DNA so that, uh, you know, you can do a recipe. You don't have to think about your hand. Your hands are shopping, blending, mixing, and so forth. And uh, certainly, if you talk to another chef, for me, I go somewhere, I have something to eat. I say, see, that was really great. What did you do? And he said, well, I did this, this, and that. Oh, yeah, it's a good idea. And that's about all I need, you know, to follow a recipe. So... It may be not quite, uh, not, not quite short, in, in, but it's the same idea, you know, telling people's story. So you uh, leave home at the age of 13 to make it on your own. And this was in 1949. You worked and eventually cooked in a few kitchens across France, including your first culinary triumph that had to do with tarragon chicken. But at 16, you landed a summer gig at a uh, lakeside hotel and restaurant near the French Alps. This served as an introduction to you with live fire cooking, something that has obviously become incredibly popular over the last five to 10 years now. What do you love about cooking over an open flame, Jacques? Well, you know, uh, there is something very visceral, you know, about uh, cooking in the wood, going on a picnic and making a fire and eating uh, something which is not duplicable in a regular kitchen. You know, the fire itself, uh, yes, bring you in, the ingredient, the smell, and so forth. It's all part of that, that tradition, you know. So, and uh, when I was a kid, that we used to do a lot of outside cooking like this. So eventually you move to Paris. After bouncing around a few places, you settle at the three-star Hotel Plaza Atene, I think is how you pronounce it. I apologize if I mispronounced it there. And you worked there for eight years. Why was the plaza so crucial for your development? Well, when I work at the Plaza Atene, I have to say, I probably work in maybe a hundred restaurants in Paris in between, because my day off, I usually want to work in a restaurant. There is an organization in Paris, Society of Chefs, which if you belong, you go in the morning in quality, they have your dossier there, they know who you are. And they send you people say, oh, I need a guy for the day. I need for two days. So you have that organization, which I use a great deal. So I work in many, many restaurants from uh, you know, very ordinary uh, soup kitchen to three-star restaurant in Paris. But I stay at the Plaza Tenet, as you say, a long time. It was a very classical training. We were 48 chefs in the kitchen. There were 500 some employees, and we serve about 250 people. So uh, it was in the classic way, you know, where you had to conform and learn the recipe and so forth. So I did a great deal of training there. You moved to New York in 1959. Considering that you knew little to no English at the time, just how much of a culture shock was this for you, Jacques? It was and it wasn't. You know, remember, I came to New York. I came to America because I wanted to come to America. America was uh, 
the golden fleece, you know. And, uh, uh, for us, I mean, I wasn't married, I was alone. And um, I had free time. So I said, I'll go to America for a year, oh, maybe two years. Most people who come to America, it's for economic reasons to get a better life, maybe, or religious reason, or political reason, or one of those things. Uh, I didn't have any of this. I came uh, with the intention of staying a year or two and going back. And I loved it from the beginning. And I started studying at Columbia and did all kind of things that I hadn't done in France. And uh, this is over 60 years ago, and I'm still here. You, know. you cooked in New York City at La, uh, Le Pavillon for uh, about a year before being asked to serve as the White House chef for the Kennedy administration. But right. you turned that down to work for Howard Johnson instead. Why? Yeah. Well, you have to realize that it was another world to start with. I was the chef in France for three presidents from 56 to 58, and I serve, uh, finished with the gold. I serve people like Eisenhower, Nehru, Tito, those were the head of state at the time. And not once ever would you ever be asked to go for kudo in the dining room. That did not exist. The cook was in the kitchen in the back, and that was it. I never had an interview for a newspaper or a magazine or radio where television barely existed. So it was another world. At that time, any good mother would have wanted her child to marry a lawyer, a doctor, certainly not a cook. You know, so uh, to, to be truthful, when I was asked to go to the White House, I had no idea of the potential of publicity. In fact, it did not exist at the time. The man who won there, Rene Verdon, was a friend of mine. He was the sous chef at the Essex House in New York. And we called him and he said he was interested. So he ended up doing the. And this is the time when Mrs. Kennedy took a, she He sent me a picture of him and the, the president and the Mrs. Kennedy and so forth. It was this early 60 hmm. woman liberation, organic. Things were changing a great deal. But if you ask anyone who was the chef prior to Ronde Verdon at the White House, well, I was told it was a black lady from the South, no one would have known her name or whatever, no more than they knew my name and all that. So it was a different world. So uh, I didn't go to the White House, uh, you know, I went to Howard Johnson, which was uh, another world for me, a world of production, marketing, chemistry of food, organization of recipe and so forth. In fact, I stayed there 10 years, 1960, 1970. When I left, I opened a restaurant on Fifth Avenue called La Potagerie of mass production of soup. Then I opened the World Trade Center with Joe Baum to set up the commissary where we could feed 30,000 people a day. I was a consultant at the Russian Tea Room in the 80s. I'm saying all of that to say I would never have been able to do those jobs without the training of Howard Johnson. Uh, other French chef, I didn't know about production, marketing, and stuff like this. So it was a good thing. So you learned a lot more about the behind-the-scenes aspects of being a chef that oftentimes had very little to do with cooking. That's true. Well, up to a point, yes. I mean, you know, you have what you may consider uh, the pencil chef and the skillet chef. I mean, you get big hotel like uh, the Hilton and all that. You have a, a guy who has one menu, one dinner for 2,000 people, another banquet for 500, two smaller weddings for 600 or whatever it is. And the guy going around is testing the food, organizing to that, the pencil chef, you know. Mm. But you have other chefs who are in the kitchen, like Daniel Boulou, or Thomas Keller in New York, those are great chefs, but they are chefs who are behind the stove and cooking. 
more skilled chef. I would consider myself more of a skilled chef. I've never been that great at organizing a tour before. Mm. So uh, amongst the many recipes that you describe in this book, one of my favorite and uh, an area where you and I are definitely aligned on is my love of chimichurri. You talk about chimichurri chicken, but interestingly, and I say this as somebody who regularly makes a, a chimichurri sauce, your description didn't include any oil or red wine vinegar. Is that just a matter of personal preference with how you were taught it? Because that uh, that detail yeah. really caught my eye. Yeah, I think there is oil in this. Oh, there is. Okay. okay. Vinegar, but uh, there is oil. And basically, parsley and garlic, what we call in France persillade, which is the classic uh, accompaniment of any home cook, uh, is part of that too. So in that sense, it's, it's a bit French for me. And, you know, after so many years in America, often I'm considered maybe as a quintessential French chef. And then you take my book and I have a, a black bean soup on page 32 with banana and cilantro on top because of my wife coming from, uh, from Puerto Rico and Cuba. And then I have a lobster roll from Connecticut and a salad fried chicken, whatever. So I'm probably the quintessential American chef after all those years. <laughs> Another recipe that just absolutely made my mouth water was your description of chicken cracklings for somebody oh, yeah. who's listening yeah. right now and loves them. It's it's not that difficult. How do you make chicken cracklings? Oh. No, it's very, very easy. In fact, you know, when you take, whether you buy chicken leg or chicken breast or the whole chicken, you remove the skin and you put it flat on a cookie sheet uh, with the inside of the chicken touching it because it tends to stick and you want it to stick and a dash of salt on top, 350 degree oven, and it dries out, and as I say, if it sticks a little bit, which it should, then it dries out even thinner, like a cookie, and the fat comes out of it. And uh, and the fat is great to saute potato or doing anything like this. Certainly, when I was a kid, we used the chicken fat, probably maybe more than butter. But the crackling of the chicken or duck skin and all that, you sprinkle that on top of salad, you sprinkle that on top of uh, uh, many things, a vegetable or a soup, uh, you even, I do, when I was at the Russian tea room, I remember doing a, a chicken liver pate, chicken liver mousse, rather, in the Jewish style without cooked eggs on top. And I used to have a lot of chicken there. So we used to do crackling like that to crumble it on top of the chicken mousse. And that was really good. Chicken you call it your, your favorite form of bacon. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Why do you preach never throwing out the carcass of a cooked chicken? Well, because, I mean, there is still a lot of taste to be extrapolated. And since I'm a very miserly cook, I recook it to get some stock and uh, can always have stock and freeze it and use it in one way or the other. Yes. Julia Child was one of your dear friends. As a matter of fact, she regularly uh, she regularly bragged upon your ability to debone a chicken. What's the key to doing so both quickly but also correctly, too? Well, practice, again, as I say, as an apprentice. And certainly where I apprenticed in Bokan West, we did a lot of chicken. Chicken was in many forms, from cold chicken in aspic to chicken with tarragon to bone-out chicken. So, you know, you, I know that I must have learned it somewhere, but I'm sure that I didn't learn it the way I do it because you learn something and then you improve it and you work with it for years and years and years after you don't even remember where it comes from, but that's how you do it now. So yes, I have uh, I have enjoyed boiling out chicken. <laughs> you and Julia appeared on television together many, many times over the years. 
What was the incident with her on Tom Snyder's Tomorrow Show, which was later lampooned by Saturday Night oh, Live? Boy. Uh, I remember that one because it was 1978. I did a book called La Technique and a second one called La Method, a continuation of La Technique. And I, I was on a book tour. And Tom Snyder, I was on his show in New York. Then he moved to Los Angeles and he said, can you come on the show with Julia? I said, sure, I'm going to ask her. And uh, she was actually from, uh, from close to Los Angeles. Uh, and she was there visiting her, her sister. Anyway, so she said, yeah, absolutely, we go. And it was the whole show for like an hour and a half. So I, they had to push the show already half an hour because I was coming by plane. They had to pick me up and rush me. So I didn't have time to uh, buy food or do anything. Julia bought enough food for, for an army. You know, I mean, there was enough stuff. And because Tom Snyder said, you don't need to have recipe or anything, just cook for fun. So... Uh, I get on stage five minutes before we start, and I had a knife with me, a small pairing knife that I carried with me because I was doing a book tour and going in the morning to a television show to show to Pilatomero, whatever, so I needed that knife. And at that time, we could carry it with you, which I had with me. So uh, uh, I, I came on stage with her five minutes before we start, Tom Snyder, I put my knife on the table. She took that knife to cut a shallot and took the end of her finger of a big piece. So I push the piece back and wrap up a finger with, with a towel. And Tom, Tom Stader was crazy. He said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Julia was mad at herself. She said, we're not going to do anything. We're going to cook, I'm going to cook, I'm going to taste. I don't want to talk about my finger. So we started the show and uh, I think I still remember uh, uh, Julia said, we are by order of size here. I mean, Tom Stader was, I think, six, seven or six, six. And she's like six, two. So they say, how old are you? I say, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a, a dwarf. I am 5'1", or whatever. The second question is Tom Snyder who said, Julia, do you mind if I tell people you cut your finger? So, which he didn't want to. So the camera went right on her finger. And after, uh, the week after, she was on the Johnny Carson show. Uh, the week after that, I was on, on a show with her in San Francisco. We're supposed to do omelette head to head. All we talk about was her finger, and eventually they did that thing on Saturday Night Live. But she was very happy with that. Yeah, that's a pretty cool honor, especially uh, especially back then. Why are uh, why are eggs, Jacques, the single ingredient that you could not do without? The eggs, I think it's MFK Fisher say it's one of the most secret things of all food, you know, and it's true. An egg is absolutely beautiful. And you can be in West Africa, people have no money, they still have eggs, and it doesn't have to go in the refrigerator, it can stay outside for like three weeks. And it's part of so many, so many dishes people don't realize, whether you eat a souffle, whether you eat a gratin, whether you eat uh, uh, some type of dessert, cake, too, there is always egg in those things. So eggs, yes, and eggs is extremely versatile. It can, it can accommodate to many, many different ways. So I have an egg maybe more than chicken all my life, yes. I had some for lunch, yeah. I had some for a late breakfast today. Eggs are delicious, nutritious, and uh, they are so versatile, as you just said, all of those things. All right, last question, Jacques. We focused more on the food and storytelling side of this book, but you provide some beautiful artwork. It's all chickens, and uh, they are littered throughout the pages of this book. They are a picture of a chicken that you painted, is on the front cover here as well for everybody yeah. to look at right now. Um, generally speaking, what do you love about painting? And what do you love about 
painting chickens in particular? Well, I was married for 54 years. And for 54 years, when people came to the house, uh, we invited people. I wrote the menu on a book, and people signed on the other page and said funny things. We put the level of the wine and so forth. And I started illustrating. I have 12 books like that over half a century you know, of uh, memory, of remembrance. And uh, I started illustrating those menus. And very often, I illustrate with the with chicken, so it kind of uh, continue, uh, you know, bigger and bigger. And uh, at some point, as I said, I wanted to do a book of illustration of chicken, but they end up asking me for a recipe. But uh, yeah, the chicken is, is fun. I have, uh, you can look at the back of the, the, the that book here that you have. I have a picture of me with the chicken on my shoulder uh, there, which is my friend, uh, Tom Hopkins. <laughs> well, I have a lady from a uh, lady from Jamaica here on my road, and she raised chicken, duck stuff. So I go get my chicken and my egg there. We went there. I put chicken on my shoulder and he shot picture. Mm-hmm. Yes. Love the picture and love this book. He is Jacques Pepin. The new book is Art of the Chicken, a Master Chef's Paintings, Stories, and Recipes of the Humble Bird. You can get it now wherever books are sold and make sure to check Jacques out at the Texas Book Festival this weekend. He is uh, doing a speech. I think it's also a QA and a and then also a book signing. That's at one o'clock this Saturday afternoon. Go to texasbookfestival.org to find out more info. You can also grab tickets there as well. Jacques, thank you so much for the time today and thank you for this beautiful piece of art. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. See you Thursday, Friday, Saturday. (laughs) Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to you for hanging out. You can watch, listen, learn, and connect for free at BooksOnPod.com. For BooksOnPod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day.